I'm Erin Barnes, and this is Inside College Admissions, a podcast presented by SCORE. On today's episode, Strategic Advisor to SCORE, Peter Van Buskirk, is joined by Malika Lindsay, Director of College Counseling at Jackson Preparatory School. Their conversation will cover tips for college list management, particularly in light of early decision and early action outcomes. Without further ado, I'll hand it over to Peter. Welcome to Inside College Admission. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and today I'm joined by my good friend Malika Lindsay, who is the Director of College Counseling at Jackson Prep in Flowood, Mississippi. Welcome, Malika. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, Peter. Now, I, I have to confess that your bio also says that you're the District Spelling Bee Coordinator, and I, I kind of caught off guard by that. What does that mean? What's that all about? That means that in addition to running my school's middle school spelling bee program for grades six, seven, and eight, my school hosts all of the spelling bee competitors. It'll be 49 students this year from all over the region for the district spelling bee for the Mid-South Association of Independent Schools. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of spelling bees and love to support that program. And the kids in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade are you know, they have no relationship to college counseling at all. So uh, that'd be a pleasant diversion for you then, right? It, diversion is a good word. They refer to me as the queen bee in a couple of external affairs meetings. Uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my side job. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about college admission today. And uh, this time of the year, we're, we're talking about the mid to late fall now is a time when your seniors, seniors around the country are hopefully in the midst of completing college applications, as you know, some of them are starting college applications right now. But uh, I, I kind of like to, to take a look at, at that process for them right now. But before we do that, the last 18 months or so have been very different for young people and, and their parents and their educators and their advisors because of COVID. And so given COVID implications, and also in, in our profession, we hear talk about the looming enrollment cliff, the, the likelihood that there will be fewer kids going off to college. What does from where you sit, what does that mean in terms of the, the chances of admission for a lot of the kids applying to college this year? Is it going to help them, hurt them, or no difference? I think for the savvy college applicant, it's going to help them. I, I think the student who's willing to have an open mind and consider more schools that are not in their backyards, perhaps, mm-hmm. or who, that are you know, certainly outstanding places that they haven't heard of before, and particularly the small private school colleges and universities are places where they're hungry already for more kids. And so I think that kids have stronger opportunities at more places if they're willing to sort of think outside the box of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the overall landscape hasn't shifted in a huge way yet. We're not yet in that sort of seller's market where you know colleges are vying for kids to, to come and join them. Uh, it's a little bit less co- competitive right now, but certainly you know for the smart kid, it, it's, it's, it's a good time to be in the college admissions process. With the possible exception of the kids who are maybe looking at the most selective schools, where it's never easy there. Exactly. Uh, and uh, it was interesting uh, last year, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with regard to test optional admission at Ivy League schools and Ivy types. Uh, there were a lot of young people who said, well, gosh, I don't have to send scores to any of these places. It gives me a better chance of getting in. I'm thinking that's not the right logic, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Of course, 
the transcript has always been the cornerstone of the application. It's always been the case that the most important thing that you can share with a college is day in, day out performance, and that testing is a supportive piece of the puzzle. But the reality is that everybody, it's not a free for all all of a sudden because test optional has sort of settled in um, at schools. It's still the case that you gotta do well uh, to be competitive for those places. Well, and, and those places before test optional were admitting one out of 20 or one out of 15. And then many of them saw application increases of 20 to 30% last year, which meant that it was even harder. So let's disabuse ourselves of that notion that test optional is gonna make it easier at those places. Absolutely. Now, as you have a lot of experience working with young people in list development, and I, I, I would imagine by now their lists are, are pretty solid, but, but still, how, how do you advise students to organize their college lists? I organize or encourage students to organize their lists first based on what they want. And that sounds silly, but it really is important to sort of consider personal preferences and mm -hmm. all of that when we're thinking about colleges because there are so many of them. There really is no reason for a student to settle for less than everything they want in the college of their choosing when all is said and done. And then the focus is really on balance. You've got to have reach reaches 50-50s and likelies is how we speak of it at Jackson Prep. And so as long as you have a likely that you love, we can all relax and <laughs> move through this process with some sanity. But it's, it's really critical in the early sort of thinking process to really come up with some likelies that we really love. And that leads to everyone having a positive experience or positive sort of set of outcomes when all is said and done. What's interesting, I, I've seen student lists with the, to use your term, the reach, the target, the, uh, the likely, that's pretty top heavy with reach and maybe some targets and oh, what's what's a likely again? I, the, the notion is, well, the yeah, I know that a lot of those places are hard to get into, but maybe if I apply to more of them, there's a better chance of getting in. What, what's your reaction to that statement? It's just not a, a smart approach. A smart mm -hmm. list is seven schools, in my, in my opinion, and in, mm -hmm. in my approach to this process. You can have seven reaches if you want, but we can't expect that at the back end, we're going to feel satisfied and successful um, if that's what we do. Applying to more does not increase one chance at one's chances of getting into them um, in any way. They're, you know, the highly selectives are not sharing their lists with each other and saying, oh, you take Jane and I'll take Bob and then everyone will be happy. It doesn't work that way. Um, so it really is the case that the, the balanced list, the smart list can have as many reaches as you want. But again, our thinking has to be, there must be likely, there must be a likely that we love, that we would be satisfied with when all is said and done. And if you think that that likely doesn't exist, trust me, I've been at this long enough, I can find that school. Um, you just might not have heard of it yet. Right. But, and also really stressing the visit I'm a huge fan of February visits to colleges because February is when things are their least pretty, their least lovely, and the weather is its worst um, on every college campus in America. And so go to visit a school on a Tuesday in February and see whether or not it's a good idea. 
that's really how we cut through some of that obsession with the top heavy list and really sort of make sure that it makes sense across the possibilities. So, so the kind of the flip side of that, you're, you're suggesting that kids do some meaningful research into these schools. Do you, do you think that this, the highly selective schools can figure out at all that a student is applying just to see if, if he can get in? Do you think they can spot those whimsical applications? A well put together application with someone, you know, the privileged few that have access to people like me and like you to help them make sure that the application is is solid, I don't think you can tell the difference. I don't think that college admissions people have time, quite frankly, to try to figure out who's serious and who's not. You know, they're evaluating, they're looking for reasons to welcome people to their communities, and it really isn't possible to sort of ferret out, nor do, again, do they have time or the inclination to try to ferret out who's serious and who's not. Well, now the possible exception there is that I think that what's happening these days is that they're, they're looking for evidence that students see the synergy and can, can prove the synergy that exists between the student's sense of purpose, what is it you want to accomplish through college, and how that institution can meet that purpose. And if the students applying to 27 schools, which I'm sure never happens with your population, but uh, it happens though. Uh, it, it's hard to make those cases to 27 different institutions, don't you think? It, it's hard and it, it, is, it, it is challenging for a student to respond to the why us essay effectively if they're applying to 27 schools, mm-hmm. obviously. The, the, but again, with good counseling, and good counseling would mean that you wouldn't be applying to 27 schools, exactly. but, um, but with a good counselor in, you know, working with you, the reality is you're going to write that Why Us essay thoughtfully for each school. And that really needs to be reasoned. You know, it can't just be name dropping and you know, sort of broad general thoughts about what it is you want to do or why you want to go there. It needs to be a bit more focused than that. Exactly. Let's talk about where we are now with regard to the process. Uh, we're, we're having this conversation in, in late October. We've got November 1, uh, early decision and early action deadlines, November 15th deadlines, etc. With regard to the, the deadline itself, and I'm, I'm thinking about what needs to be submitted in order for the application to have met deadline. Uh, I, I think a lot of times students assume that all parts of the app, the eventual application have to be on site at the institution in order to meet the deadline. But what, what's your impression there? Having worked in college admissions for a dozen years before I shifted to college counseling, I can tell you that the critical pieces, the things that have to make deadline are the application form itself, any writing that's required to go with that application, and all of the student portions, the application fee, all the things that the student and the family are responsible for must meet that deadline. The materials that come from the school are hopefully meeting that deadline, and they should, in fact, meet that deadline if everyone's done their part. But no one is going to be denied because a transcript didn't arrive by November 1. The college admissions teams are not working to be punitive or unkind to students. They're trying to help you (laughs) at some level. And so as long as letters of recommendation follow within about a week, typically, of an application deadline, everyone's going to be fine. 
it's it's my experience, and I'll be interested to to know from your admission experience too. But it seems that that once the application is received with the payment, the application fee, that opens a file for the student into which all additional information comes. The assumption being, as you you point out, that things might not all be there at the same time. There might be a test result that comes in three weeks later, or a letter of recommendation ten days later, etc. Is is that square with your experience as well? That does, and the reality is that as long as you pay the fee, they're going to let you know what they have and what they don't have. I think it's critical for families to remember that colleges and universities are obligated to tell you one time Mm -hmm. what's there and what's not there. And then you're responsible for making sure that everything else shows up. Mm -hmm. Now, that does not mean that you should freak out at your college counselor and say, why isn't my transcript there? Uh, They say that it's not there yet. Um, (laughs) it's important to trust the people who are tasked with different responsibilities for the application to do what they said they would do. Um, Our integrity demands that. But the colleges and universities are only going to tell you one time what the status of your application is. They And some schools are very kind and will tell you repeatedly what they're missing and what they need. But relying on that is probably not smart. You need to know what's in, know what's expected, make sure you've done proper follow-up and make sure that everything's there. That said, the the student who's been diligent about making sure that all the pieces of the application are submitted still is going to have that nagging question, well, do they have everything? When when am I going to know that my application is complete? So you're saying that you've got to trust them once you've taken, once you've pushed all the buttons at your end, that things are going to fall into place as they should. Yes. And the reality is that the vast majority of schools now offer students a portal of some sort Mm. that lets them check on the status of their applications. So there is no reason to, you know, lose it when you see that a transcript isn't there yet. You wait a few days and then, oh, look, I've checked my portal and there's the indication that everything is there and my application is complete. I don't know of a college or university that doesn't give students some sort of electronic access to the status of their application at this point. So um, there's no reason not to know your application status and there's no reason to worry that things aren't going to happen the way that they should. Sure. I'd like to change direction just a little bit right now to, to talk about a particular aspect of the admission process that is intriguing to many students and frankly to many colleges and universities, and that is early decision. And uh, you know, early decision for those who are listening in is that opportunity that students have to make a commitment to the institution. They may apply to other places at the same time as regular candidates, but early decision means you take me, I'm coming. So when does it make sense? for a student to apply early decision? Early decision is the right thing to do if and only if the sun rises and sets on this place for you. You need to, a student needs to feel as though not only can I see myself here, but I can't imagine myself elsewhere before they pull the trigger on an early decision commitment. The good thing about early decision is that everyone has to agree to it. 
So there's no danger of you saying, I want to apply early decision to that school and then discovering later that it was a commitment. <laughs> uh, you sign off on it, a parent or guardian signs off on it, and a school counselor has to sign off on that decision. And everyone has to sort of come to an, the conclusion that this is the best place for you. It's my hope that students do not fall into that thinking that, you know, if I apply early decision, I have a better shot of getting into school X, because this isn't really about the school, it's about the student. And so we really want students to think, I want to commit to this school because I want the school to commit to me. Um, it's a relationship that you're talking about. And so early decision is not something that everyone should do. It is something that um, a narrow group of students should choose um, when it's the right thing for them. It's difficult messaging because there's data that shows statistically early decision can have a positive impact in the chances that a student has. But like you, I, I find that as I make that comment to a family or to a group, I, have, I follow it up quickly with don't apply early decision <laughs> unless the sun sets or rises on that place. Well, and the reminder that you are not a statistic, as much as the statistics are potentially compelling, you are an individual student in this process and you will be evaluated on, based on who you are and what you bring to the table. Um, it's not about everyone else. This is about um, a choice that you're making for yourself. Exactly. Now, okay. So let's suppose uh, I've decided to apply early decision. The, the, the sun rises and sets on this particular school. Definitely want to be there. I've visited. I've done everything I need to do. And I'm, I'm sure this is where I want to be. But I know that my family can't afford to pay the full price. So what happens if it turns out I don't, I'm, I'm accepted, but I don't get the financial assistance that I need? What happens next? That's your out. Every college or university that has an early decision program also when you make that commitment commits to meeting your financial need um, now what you think your need is and what the university may think your need is can be two very different things and so using net price calculators on college websites doing your research about financial aid and what's available uh, and what you should expect is critically important, um, especially if cost is an issue for you and your family. Because early decision is locking you in in some way, it's, it's critical that you have all of those pieces, not just that I think I want to be there, but I can afford to be there, thought out before you make that, make that, that call. Absolutely. And, and, and Frankly, a lot of institutions are, are prepared to provide early estimates uh, outside of the net price calculator, but early estimates, if you can provide the family's most recent tax return, the financial aid officer can do the number crunching and, and provide some, some real insight about likely cost for you. I encourage families to get that information in writing, get a letter signed by somebody that says, this is what you should expect. Now let's, let's take this early decision conversation a bit further. Okay. Uh, let's suppose I've been admitted to that school that is really pretty exciting to me. I have also sent in four or five or six other regular applications, maybe some early action applications. And I'm starting to hear back from those places as well, maybe even before I've been accepted early decision. Uh, maybe a school has accepted me a regular decision and, and offered me a scholarship of $20,000 a year. And then tomorrow my early decision acceptance comes in. 
and I'm in there. What, what am I going to do? You're going to withdraw your applications to other places. I'm going to walk um, away from $20,000? Yes, you are. <laughs> you, you knew that that was a possibility when you applied early decision, and that's what that commitment means. And so you've lost your right to choose, quite frankly, when you apply early decision. And that's why it's a decision that has to be made with a great deal of thought and consideration. And that's why so many people have to sign off on that decision. You are duty bound to withdraw your regular decision applications and to say, thank you, but I cannot come to that early action. Yes, even with all that money, because you made a commitment um, at the front end. Absolutely. And that's the hard part. And I think that's part that a lot of times families don't fully appreciate. So, you know, we've been talking about early decision and, and all the good things that can happen. You're accepted. Life's good. You're going to go. But there are a lot of instances where you apply early decision or even early action. And early action doesn't require the commitment to enroll. But um, the outcome isn't quite so happy. Maybe you're deferred. Maybe you're denied. Um, what kind of what kind of strategies or suggestions do you have for students who might be rebounding from that letdown of the early decision, early action? The first thing is don't panic. Your, your first instinct may be when you receive that no or that deferral of a regular decision pool, the first instinct may be to apply everywhere. You know, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get in anywhere now. I thought I thought this out and, you know, I'm not getting the result I wanted. And the fear can set in in a way that's not healthy or, or productive. And so step one is sit down with your counselor. <laughs> and if you don't have a counselor, you know, rewind and think about fit. Think about what's going to be best for you and think about, um, your credentials relative to, you know, median credentials for, for the schools that the other schools, the other six schools that you were applying to or thinking about in the first place. If we need to go back to the drawing board and think about what schools are the most like the school that said no or the school that said you're deferred to regular pool, that's fine. But, but it's critical never to feel as though you don't have options other than that one school, you know, there, there's going to be a good, good outcome for you if we're smart about what the rest of that list looks like. Now, let's suppose on the rest of that list, there's a new clear first choice. Is it possible then for the student to take advantage of an early decision application? Many schools now have a round two. Is, is that ethical? Is that okay? It's completely ethical and appropriate. If you have, uh, let's say you were, you know, diehard for school A, but that fell through and it was close with another school B and you thought, you know, I could see myself at either of these places. You can convert an application typically into an ED2 application. Even though um, you've applied regular, you can switch it. And if right? you've applied regular, many schools will allow you to convert the application into an ED2. But remember, the same commitment applies, the same rules apply. If you get in early decision, you got to go. <laughs> you can't consider the other three or four that remain. And so, again, early decision is not for the faint of heart. No. Um, 
and one needs to be prepared for one of three decisions, admit, deny, or defer. And that defer option or the defer decision is probably the most frustrating and the thing that is most challenging for students um, and causes the most panic. But the defer decision, in my experience, has always been a decision that's based on a need to know more. That's when a student should be, you know, if you're deferred from an early decision school, you want to make sure that you've told them your story fully. And if you can see gaps in that story and you can see areas where you could have shared more or shared more correct, more clearly what your commitments were or who you are, then when something new is available to share, you should share that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You don't want to re-litigate re your entire application, but you do want to share whatever is new and whatever has transpired in the fall of the senior year to make sure that they're up to speed. But in, in effect, if you're deferred or denied, uh, you become a free agent in terms of your ability to commit to an, another school or to, to continue with applications to other schools. Now, let's talk a little bit about regular admission. I, and I realize that, that there are a lot of deadlines out there, but, but generally speaking, when should students be thinking about trying to complete and submit their regular decision applications? Now, now. Uh, <laughs> is, 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 is my first response to that question, at least as a college counselor, I'd love for uh, students to have their applications done in early fall, partly because it gets the work over with for me, but partly because senior year is a busy time and it's an exciting time and there's developmentally stuff that has to happen in senior year um, that's important to students and so the earlier you can get this stuff done the better a senior year you can have and so without the college process looming true you're going to find yourself if you apply in October to a school that's not going to yield a decision until late March early April you're going to find yourself waiting and perhaps stressing a bit about the fact that you're waiting to hear from schools, but I would much rather see you give the application process its due and its time and the attention it needs earlier rather than waiting until December or January to get the application done, even if the deadline for the application isn't until January 1 or January 15. Saving it for winter break isn't a good way to spend winter break. And also, you don't have access to people who can give you good feedback over winter break. If you save your application process, let's say you're waiting to get your essay done until you have time to spend on it over your winter break, the reality is your English teachers and your college counselors are not going to be available to you over that winter break. So no one is going to be able to give you the feedback you need on those essays or on those pieces of the application in a reasonable amount of time if your application deadline is January 1. So the earlier you can get this work done, the better. I think that's great advice. Uh, and, and I think one of the other pieces that, that kind of fits in here as well is testing because a lot of kids are, are working on a, a, a November deadline for early decision, early action, but they may be taking a November SAT or ACT and they're saying, well, is it, are they going to look at that score? Or maybe they, they're applying regular admission with a January 1st deadline and they're taking an SAT or ACT in late January. How does that typically work? I mean, are they going to complicate things by taking those later SATs or ACTs? Or does that information catch up with their application? The information will catch up with 
with your application. So the reality is once you create an application file or, you know, I, I think of them as buckets at school, at a school, once you send information in and you indicate on your application that you intend to take a test on a date that's in the future, they're expecting that test to come. They're going to wait on that test score to make a decision about your application um, or to re revisit your application once they get those scores. So there's no reason not to get the application over with, even if you plan to do more testing over time. It will all come together before decisions are finally made. Exactly. And, and I remember back in the day that we would often review candidates if we saw that there was some information yet to come, we, we would do an initial review, but uh, also make a note that we wanted to hold for it the test that would be coming later or hold for the letter of recommended, whatever. So, or maybe even mid-year grade. So uh, that, that becomes part of the process. Now, one more thing I'd like to kind of cover here and, and uh, it has to do with that end of the process uh, at a college or university that, that doesn't go well. I mean, you've, you've been denied, not, not waitlisted, but denied. Is there any recourse for kids there? Uh, is it possible to appeal such a decision um, it's possible. Right. I, I, uh, it, it does not tend to go well. No. The people who evaluate applications take that process and that responsibility very seriously mm -hmm. and um, are not likely to rescind a decision or change a decision. I think that's a moment when a student needs to look at, do I really want to be somewhere that doesn't really want me? they need to consider the possibility that the universe is telling them something that perhaps, you know, the school that I thought was really awesome and had the prettiest trees and the best Chick-fil-A on campus, maybe that's not the, the right place for them. And perhaps that other school that you did get into that gets you, that, you know, connects with what you said in your application, maybe that's the better school for you but appeals are not <laughs> typically successful. And, you know, it's potentially damaging to continue to get told no. You know, there's, no, there's nothing to be gained by having them tell you no twice. And so, you know, I, I used to feel terrible when kids would send, you know, five or six letters of recommendation in support of their applications because, everybody saying you're a nice kid isn't what was making us decide no in the first place. It was the fact that you were, a, you know, a C&D student and we weren't really able to find a place for you at our school. So yeah, appeals are not something to rely on and they are not usually successful in any way. Now, you used a word in starting that comment that, that brought to mind another scenario. You used the word rescind. Mm. Um, it is possible for admission officers to rescind offers of admission, isn't it? Yes. And why might that happen? Um, a student can have an offer of admission rescinded uh, in the event that they fail to continue to perform at the level that they were performing when they first applied. Mm -hmm. So this is something that people don't realize oftentimes. The wording in any letter of acceptance, the wording in that email that tells you that congratulations, you're in, always says 
contingent upon your continuing to perform in the way that you performed uh, when we admitted you. So this is why senior year can't be an opportunity to do nothing um, or to sleep or relax or, or fail to continue to take school seriously because they can always take it back. And I have, I have been with students and worked with students who have had offers rescinded and it is not fun. You know, this is not a good time. You do not want to be the kid who has to explain to a dean in an interview why you became a C student all of a sudden through your senior year. And that, that re rescinding usually takes place in June or July after you've graduated from high school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which right. makes it impossible potentially to revisit the college application mm -hmm. process itself. You may need to take a gap year if you are going to, if you lose an offer of admission, you've already deposited, they may give you your money back, but they're not going to take you if you right. uh, lost your offer of admission. I, I typically will frame this within the context of selectivity and, and suggesting to students that the harder it is to get into a school, the more likely that those admission folks are looking to see what you, the student, will do when you don't think you have to do anything in your senior year. So looking ahead, the senior year, where they're at right now is really pretty important, isn't it? Well, it's extremely important. And that's, again, why I think it's important to get the college application process sort of out of the way because seventh semester, the, the first semester of senior year, that seventh semester is critical at many colleges and universities in terms of their decision-making. They need to see how you did through seventh semester to make sure that what they've seen through the first six semesters is in fact what they can expect from you going forward. Wow. Malika, this has been great. A wealth of information for any student who's in the midst of the application process right now. Now, rumor has it that you've got a teenager at your house who will be applying next year. Will you know anything according to him when the time comes? He has asked me to make sure that I tell him about all that college stuff yeah. uh, is, is, is his phrase when he needs to know it. So we will, like all the other families, start doing some visits in spring and he will have a rude awakening when it is time to actually make some choices. But yeah, we're ready and we have an open mind and we're looking forward to seeing what happens next. Sounds like you're in a really good place. Good for you. Well, thank you for, for providing this uh, insight and perspective for our listeners today. The, the college admission process is, uh, as you say, not for the weak of heart. And, you know, it can be highly stressful. But I, I hope that as you've listened today and perhaps can re-listen to the good advice that Malika provides, uh, that you'll be able to find some point of, of comfort and relaxation. It's, it's not going to be easy, but you can make it through this process. Thank you again, Malika, for joining us. It's great to see you and, and to hear what you have to say about the process. And, and thank you, everyone, for joining. Have a great day, everyone. A special thanks to Peter Van Buskirk for joining us in this conversation today. If you want to hear more from Peter, you can find his content in the blog section of our website and on YouTube where his webinars and presentations are hosted. If you want to learn more about SCORE, go to SCORE.com. That's S-C-O-I-R.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at SCORE Inc. That concludes our conversation today. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.